Richard, can you provide some context to how the online luxury market has evolved over the last decade? Well, a lot has happened in the last decade. I mean, as you I'm sure you know, digital is a super fast moving space and luxury, it's soft luxury, which is, which is the area that, that, that we work in, um, has been probably later to the online space than a lot of other categories. I think around the mid-noughties is probably when things kicked off. Natalie Massonet well well known for having pioneered online luxury retail at a time when I think it would be fair to say that a lot of the established bricks and mortar players, department stores in particular, were quite skeptical about the, the possibility of selling luxury online because of the high price point, but also, you know, how do you deal with the sizing and the, and the fabrics and the, and the, you know, the very specific nature of particularly ready-to-wear clothing, even if, you know, bags or accessories or to some extent shoes lend themselves more easily to to not having the product right in front of you. So there's a lot of skepticism. Keep Forged Ahead is, I think, rightly credited with a lot of the sort of pioneering efforts, but she wasn't alone. I mean, a lot of independent retailers at that time and up to about 10 years ago saw the opportunity to engage with, well, I think, first of all, to service their existing customer base better and to also, of course, reach a much wider audience. So it's interesting, really, because it was the independent stores like Teresa in Munich who launched my Teresa like Matches Fashion, Matches as, as was then in, in, in London, End Clothing in, in, in the northeast of England, uh, Essence in Canada that, that sort of grabbed the opportunity more so than the big established department stores uh, at an earlier stage. And of course, they also had the advantage of owning all of their own stock. They were wholesale partners to the brands. They, they, they owned all of the stock that was on their shelves and they were able to present it online, whereas the department stores had a mixture of wholesale relationships, which they could present online if they, if they wished to, but also concession contracts where they sublet space to the brands. So their product mix would have been more patchy versus the independent. So so you now have a situation where those some of those independent stores, as was 10 years ago, are now some of the major players in, in the luxury digital space and, and uh, uh, overtook, stole a march, if you like, on the big, uh, big established department stores, luxury department stores. And then I think probably... The slowest, the slowest players to, 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 to join the, the online race, arguably, have been the brands themselves. And even to this day, we, you know, there, is, there are brands who have, at this stage, you know, in, a, in a proven uh, market, have really embraced the online space, understand its potential. And still there are those which are skeptical and, and have concerns about brand perception and how it works and, and how it will impact their existing bricks and mortar business. So, but of course, the brands in some respects could afford to wait and see, could afford to partner with those independent stores and the sort of more forward-thinking department stores to see how it evolved and, and, and join later because they own their name, they own their products and, and would always be able to create demand at, uh, at the point that they wanted to, to experiment more with the online space. How have you viewed the way brands look at luxury evolve in time, especially now and post-COVID as well? COVID has, I mean, COVID has accelerated everything. I, mean, I think this, is, this has been well reported in, in the press. Um, I think it's a well understood, well understood fact. I mean, pre-COVID, you would, 
read the, the sort of popular figure was that by 2025, around 25% of online luxury sales would sorry, luxury sales would be made online. Um, I think COVID has, has taken it already over the 20% mark. I think that we'll get to that 25% mark much faster now that people are in, you know, more customers are engaging with online because they had to. Um, they didn't have the bricks and mortar option, for, and and have become used to become used to it, been introduced to it. So, COVID has has really accelerated. I think what was already happening from a brand point of view. Again, it, it it varies radically from brand to brand. Some have embraced embraced digital fully, and others remain hugely skeptical. As I said earlier, I think brands have got several questions to answer. First of all, how do they protect and, and of course, enhance their image online? Um, over the last 10, 15 years, every store that, that they, they work with, that they, they have a wholesale relationship, have the opportunity to put those goods online. So if you were to keyword search any major luxury brand, you would find pages and pages and pages of, of, of retailers willing to sell you those, those products, which... Of course, paints a very mixed picture in terms of the standard presentation. Canon has created um, difficulties with pricing, in-season discounting, which of course is not not central to a luxury brand's image. So, trying to um, manage a brand's image online has become an important uh, topic. And of course, there is the opportunity and, and to 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 go further than that to enhance. I mean. Fashion Weeks have not had the opportunity to go ahead this year, so brands have uh, have been forced to look at digital or mixed digital and physical alternatives, um, and and experimented with different ways to use digital to really elevate themselves to create a much more modern, forward thinking uh, approach to that to their marketing. They're thinking about the way they can engage with the younger customer because, of course, if you're not online, there's an entire there are generations of digitally native customers who you would not get exposure to if you were not to present online. Certainly the brands that have been more skeptical who have, who have come later to the space have experienced an aging of their, of, their, of their name, of their brand, because younger customers simply don't see them in, 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 in that space. There's been a lot, I mean, for a long time, there's been a lot of conversation around, around the integration of online and offline, it's popularly called omnichannel, and that's now... I think very well understood. It's impossible at this point to think about the two separately. In fact, even omnichannel really is a dated concept. It's it's, it's really all belongs under the under the banner of, of, of commerce. Um, I think a, a modern luxury customer now, and this isn't just the case for, for a younger customer. Research online at a minimum, purchase online often, and if they're going to make the effort to actually visit a bricks and mortar location, one more than just access to products, want, want an experience, want to engage more deeply with, with brands. And of course, there's, for the brands, that, because they came a little bit later, a real learning curve in terms of how they drive online sales and, and how do they allocate stock to that channel versus their, their bricks and mortar. So can we lay out the different online business models we have today, and mainly between the kind of wholesale in inventory-based model versus the kind of far-fetched market models. How do you compare the two? 
Yeah, so there, there are two main models. As you, as you say, uh, the marketplace model, um, whereby Farfetch being, from a luxury point of view, the, the, uh, the, the biggest operator in, 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 in that area, whereby the marketplace is a way for third-party retailers to present their, their stock online. Um, and to benefit from um, a higher volume of traffic to that marketplace than they would get to their own uh, much smaller dot-com, of course, with the significant expense of, of, of search engine uh, advertising and so on. The second option is a little bit we've talked about so far is the, is the retailer that buys the inventory directly and presents the goods on their own site. And there are pros and cons to both. The advantage of the retail model, whereby, as my trader, whereby we buy the stock and we present the goods directly, means that we own, we, we ship directly to the customer. We can control the level of, um, of service, uh, the speed of service. We can control the edit of products on the, on the site. We can have a perspective in terms of the way we edit and, and, and present to customers. And ultimately, we own the, close relationship with with that customer and we can service that customer so that they come back time after time and and we, we very much look at it from the point of view of the lifetime value of any given customer not just not not on any one single sale marketplace by contrast tends to be more promotionally driven there's less loyalty from from individual customers often brought in through promotions and 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 and, and search and of course they can't guarantee the service levels to the same degree because the fulfillment could come from many many places from any one of the retailers that are, that are putting their products on that on that site so there is a customer relationship of course but there isn't the same level of curation there isn't the same level of, of, of point of view and they can't guarantee the same level of service or at least it's much more difficult to do that with a marketplace well, we can get into detail on the specific differences as we, you know, later on. But just more conceptually, with a luxury marketplace, do you think there's a limitation to the scale of it? You know, because by definition, luxury wants to limit supply to drive demand, and therefore, this is somewhat. You know, it's not like you're selling Amazon Basics or or, or widgets. How do you look at the kind of conceptually the marketplace model? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fair comment. I mean, luxury is not about commodity. I mean, luxury needs uh, an element of scarcity. There is um, a, a light of touch and feel to presenting luxury goods. So it can't be handled in a pure uh, marketplace manner in the way that, that Amazon, for example, handles commodity goods in the way that they can produce their own label for products for best-selling lines or, or indeed stock. You know, high levels of volume on bestsellers in, in their network of warehouses or distribution centers. Marketplaces in luxury, of course, can be scaled. The, the digital channel is growing and will continue to grow for at least the next five years, probably beyond. So there is high growth potential even by just retaining a similar level of market share. But they are limited in their ability to bring enough of the right products from the right brands to the marketplace because they're not purchasing directly. There are relationships between marketplaces and brands, but they're not the direct purchasers. They can't fully control the level of inventory available. And luxury, like any business, is really there are perhaps only 
30 or 50 <clears throat> very important brands in the market. And, and in order to scale properly, you need to be working with those 30 to 50 and you need those brands to be on board with the, the way you operate. They need to be convinced about the additional value that you bring to them as a brand. And if you can do those things, then you can, you can scale your supply. But in, in the absence of those relationships, in the absence of that belief, a lot of marketplaces, of course, look at a wider assortment of brands, a wider assortment of products, which is not scaling in the way you're describing. That is, um, that is finding more stock, finding more variety, certainly. But in the end, it's, it, there are a few brands and a few and a, a few styles that really drive the, the core of, of any business. And, and that's, that's true of luxury as it is of, of, any, of many industries. Why do the brands prefer selling directly to e-commerce retailers versus the marketplaces? Fundamentally, relationships. And relationships in the luxury sector are incredibly important. And, and good quality relationships, of course, are based on on how retailers can add value. If a retailer can't add value to what the brand already does, there is, really isn't a, a reason for being. In our case, one, it's the, the edit and curation. I think that it's extremely important that brands believe that retailers have their own point of view that can come to their showroom, see the collection in full and focus on styles and an edit of styles and, and the curation and putting together those styles in a way that perhaps brings a new perspective, a different, a different light onto that collection that wouldn't be presented necessarily even in their own stores where perhaps there's even a bigger assortment. Secondly, in terms of the way we communicate through many channels, through social media, through email, through on-site and, and so on, that curation allows, allows for retailers to develop a, a tone of voice of, uh, and to communicate that point of view. And, and a point of view that customers identify with. And many customers in the luxury space are very time poor. They don't want to see every single um, option available from, from all of the major brands. They want to see the most important styles or indeed the styles that we think are most important to them. We often say that the, that the customer searches at, at the red stoplight, which means you've only got her or his attention for a very limited, um, a limited period and need to get the right products in front of them as quickly as possible. So tone of voice and the way you communicate is extremely important and that, that requires control over the product. And then finally, I think the service itself, the, the, the ease of, of navigation, the ease of checkout, the on-site experience, the most importantly, the speed of delivery and after purchase care, the follow-up service on a very individual basis. I mean, the, one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest areas of focus for any retailer is to be able to scale but also treat your customers as individuals um, and, and um, this is this is something which certainly separates retailers from marketplaces but so we could, can we just walk through then how a brand would look at the two options like let's say i'm you know gucci.com or you know xbrand.com and i hang, i can go and sell via a, an online retailer where I get, like you said, this highly curated, more ownership, better service, supposedly, model. Or I can go to someone like Farfetch and have that e-concession model and kind of integrate with their platform and link up my site with theirs. 
for them to fulfill my products. How do I look at making that decision between either or? It's not necessarily an either or. Um, I think, you know, like any industry, there isn't any one way to get to a final desired outcome or to, in this case, reach the luxury consumer. I think there's a, there's a place for both. I think that the approach on the marketplace for brands is most interesting in a sense that initially, of course, Farfetch and, and other marketplaces began as a platform for other retailers to advertise the, the stock that they have on. But that led to a huge variety of price points, uh, as we said earlier, a, a huge variety in the quality of the pictures and uh, products and, and the presentation of products. And this, isn't, this doesn't service luxury well. That's fine, possibly for commodity items, but for luxury, which you know these brands are investing huge amounts of money in their own store networks. Some of some of them are, are investing huge amounts of money in their own .com. But then to have alongside that a substandard presentation on on marketplaces runs the risk of dilution or, or erosion of the quality of their presentation. So. There needs to be some coordination with with their third party retailers that are also using the site. And then that aside, there is the opportunity, of course, for the brands themselves to have their own inventory on on, on those platforms. There's a lot of traffic coming through those platforms. As we said earlier, in many cases, it's it's traffic which is driven by promotions, which is something that luxury brands don't necessarily want to be involved with because they're they're not competing on price. Nobody needs a luxury product. I mean, there are if you want a pair of shoes or if you want a bag or, or, or any item of clothing, there are many less expensive options on the market that you, you, you can choose. It so happens that luxury brands create the most desired bags, the most desired shoes, some of the most innovative clothing. So price isn't the key point for them to, to com- compete on. So there needs to be coordination. And then, of course, they have the opportunity to present their own stock directly where, of course, they can set the price. They can decide whether they promote or not promote and, of course, can control their, their, their image. But what they can't do, which a retailer can do by contrast, is mix products together from other brands. Now, mix them and, and, and style them and curate them in a way that creates new interesting angles, new interesting uh, images with like-minded brands. And it's that sense of discovery that a retailer that owns their own stock can also provide. You may, a customer may arrive looking for one brand or having an idea of, of, of an item that, that she or he wants to purchase. And along the route to looking at that brand finds another brand or another product which they hadn't considered, they hadn't thought of before, and then become a customer of that brand. But that, of course, means that the brand has to trust the retailer has to trust their point of view, the quality of their execution, and so on. And so it's, it, it's only really, the, I think, the, the best quality retailers that will be able to survive long, time, uh, long term in this, in this space. But doesn't the end consumer, the actual buyer, just want the most selection in luxury, or is it different than other products? No, and in, in, in our customers tell us, Quite clearly, otherwise, um, they want many a time poor, as, as, as I said earlier, um, and they want to see either the the what we consider, what our buyers, uh, what our teams consider to be the most interesting, exciting, or, or best items from that designer, or they want us to show the most relevant items 
for them individually. And, you know, we're putting a lot of work into on-site search so that we can offer items based on purchase history that, that, that are going to resonate because they want to save time. They don't want to look through thousands and thousands of, of items. You know, if, if, if she's going to an event this summer and wants a dress to wear, she wants to see the most relevant dresses for that occasion for her, not every dress that's ever been produced for a, for a summer party. So no, curation is, is extremely important. If, look, if, if you want to, um, uh, if you know precisely what you want, I want this bag from this designer in this size. Marketplaces are a, are a good place to start because you'll likely find it in stock from somewhere. But even then, you need to be prepared to uh, potentially wait a little longer. In some cases, if the if the retailer isn't close to you, you rely on the, the speed of their, their shipping, which could be very good, could be very quick, but may not be. So you get variable service standards as well. I mean, I think from some of the dynamics we've seen in other marketplaces has been the you know, the benefits of scale, right? The, the more more demand, more suppliers, more more supply, more demand, and it kind of you know you get a flywheel on on the builds the marketplace. So, you, do you not think this will work in luxury, where as Farfetch gain demand and keep, keep gaining scale, they will just the other brands will just get attracted to the platform because of the scale of the business. Well, I think there's two things there. One is is the way in which that that traffic is 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 um, is, is attracted to the site. Search is becoming increasingly expensive and it's increasingly competitive. Promotion and discounting, which is a major draw from marketplaces, find this product cheaper on our site. As we discussed, price isn't the the first. Uh, isn't the first and most important quality of, the, of, of, a, of a luxury product. It's already expensive and therefore isn't the way that traffic, good quality traffic should be, should be gained. How does the pricing work then? Let's take, let's take promotional discounts on Farfetch. I mean, how does that typically work with the brand and how does the brand look at that? I mean, look, the attitude from the brand side varies considerably. I mean, some, some brands will be very open to acquiring customers through discount, through promotion. But in general, the most highly perceived, the most luxurious brands by definition don't want to be involved in, in a lot of promotional activity. They've invested heavily in developing their image through their stores, through their runways, through their marketing activities, through the ways that, the ways in which they engage with an audience culturally, and the whole idea of luxury products is 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 that that desire justifies the the price tag, and also that the the scarcity, the in some cases the difficulty to acquire those items and the craftsmanship that goes into producing them justifies that that price tag. So promoting a site, certainly promoting particular brands or particular products through it, through discounting isn't isn't a model which attracts best customers. Best customers meaning customers who will shop multiple times per year. It's more likely to attract an aspirational customer that shops occasionally, um, but that doesn't that doesn't create stickiness, that doesn't create loyalty. But they offer a discount. So for Farfetch, for example, they would offer a discount to me as a customer. I can go on and pretty much buy most products at a discount and then hopefully Farfetch expect me to go back and purchase more or is it only a discount on some products? 
typically it would be on some products. I mean, any promotion can be set up in multiple ways, of course, but um, any, any advertised discount is likely to only apply to a selection of products rather than every product um, on site. Right. So do those brands care though? If they're not, if they're not discounting themselves and they say, right, we're going on your platform, but this is the fixed take rate for Farfetch. This is the price. It does not move. You know, is that not a good deal for them or they just don't want to be involved in the kind of marketplace offering? Well, it's a complex business, isn't it? Because, of course, um, no brand or retailer can dictate a price. I mean, every, every um, retailer is entirely free to set their own prices. They own the product, they bought it at wholesale, and they can, they can sell it at any price they like. But that brings about the complication of if, if luxury brand X uh, presents their own stock on, on a marketplace, and then there are and other stores that present the same product on that marketplace, but at a cheaper price, um, who's going to win, win the sale? And more importantly, is that customer coming back for those products if they're not discounted? So if, if the primary reason for the customer arriving on site is to find that product at a discount, they're only likely to shop again if they also get a discount. And that's, that's not a customer that, that at least... The most luxury, luxurious brands would would be interested in acquiring because um, they they are they tend to be of lower uh, long term value. So, can we talk about selection now on the supplier side? You know, firstly, how do you view now the differences in the highly curated supply of my Teresa or some of the other retailers in the luxury world versus the far fetch? And how do you look at that evolving? I think. Um, I mean, we, we put a lot of effort into this. Um, it's, it's curation from a product point of view. It's also curation from a brand point of view. Our perspective, and, um, and, and it is just our perspective, is that to, to say you are truly curated, you also have to have a relatively limited number of designers on site. If you present every designer that, that shows during Fashion Week, that is not, that is not curation. So that's the first thing. I mean, on my Teresa, there are maybe on average half the brands that are presented on most of our major competitors' sites, and that's also a way in which we way in which we scale effectively. We would rather be supportive of the designers we really believe in that we we think have an interesting story to tell, who have the most exciting products in in, in luxury, rather than spread our, spread our um, dollars thin and, and make a presentation of, of many, many brands, which in a space of a season or a year, we, we wouldn't be able to talk about, to tell stories about, to introduce our customers to, because there is only so much time and so much attention that you can, that you can gain. So we continually review which designers we carry. We continually review number of options the number of styles we carry within each within each category and and it's the team the, the job of our buying team and indeed our buying director to ensure that that selection of products really does represent a very unique point of view for us because that that keeps customers coming back that builds a relationship and builds trust over time and again that's not something that a marketplace can do because they're bringing product from so many different places that there really isn't a selection, there isn't a perspective. They can, of course, group together products within a, an email communication or within a social media marketing campaign, 
but that only represents you know a very small part of what they're actually presenting on site. But does the brand list different SKUs or inventory in different channels? So, for example, they might go with certain product range or design with Matereza, but then list overstock or other stuff on Farfetch and then have a completely different selection on, on brand.com. How do you see them mix and match in the inventory? Well, by and large, so far as brand wholesale partners go, there's a very, I think there's a very natural delineation between the big online retailers. I think between ourselves and Netaporte and, and Matches Fashion and Essence and others, there's the, one, of the, one of the reasons those businesses have been successful and have, have scaled and have grown is because they all have a unique point of view. And we, we, we monitor quite carefully how that actually stacks up once the deliveries have come in and we have our products on site and, and understand whether we are truly differentiated, which, which we, we, we certainly are. So that, that tends to happen naturally. We also develop products with the, with the brands. We create capsule collections. We uh, launch products exclusively that are important to the brands. And we, we tell stories which they really want to, they want to tell if we feel that they're relevant to our, to our customers, which also creates a, an even higher degree of separation from competitors. So far as the brands.com goes, uh, or as far as their bricks and mortar stores go, most brands, not all, but most brands do reserve some products for their own retail network. Often, as a major partner, we also get access, but some brands, particularly within sort of mainstay pillars, they would refer to them of, of, of their collections within bags, within shoes, sometimes will will reserve products for their own stores to, to differentiate or at least limit the amount of those products which are sold to to uh, partners and i think that's important i mean there really isn't there isn't a there isn't any point at all in having even two stores which present precisely the same product mix online in the in the bricks and mortar world two different stores which have a similar mix in in two very different locations there's some sense to that but online where everybody can access anything globally in our case there would be no reason for being if we showed precisely the same thing as everybody else so do you think this game is all about getting the best access to supply it's one aspect but it but it is only one aspect it's a very important part the the at the end of the day everything we do is about product and having the best supply, as you say, having working with the most important brands, having access to the most exciting products and having the opportunity to present them is where it all begins. But also it's, it, it's crucial that we communicate in the right way, that we are genuinely informative, that we're not pushing an agenda that isn't interesting to customers. So marketing and communication is, is crucial. And the way customers are serviced, again, you know, we, we're scaling pretty rapidly, but as we scale, we put a great deal of emphasis on continuing to service customers in an individual fashion, particularly customers that, that visit us several times a year that, that give us a very high share of their, of their wallet, of their annual spend, deserve to be treated to have the after sales and frankly, pre-sale service. Um, that they that they require, and do you see most of the brands that you're working with on some kind of you know, not exclusive relationship, but at least a very tight knit relationship? 
do you see them also using Farfetch and, and listing different SKUs and stock there as well? Or is it mainly like you have exclusive relationships? No, we, I mean, we have, we have few exclusive relationships. I think if a, if a luxury brand is desirable enough, it is going to be on more than one site. Um, I think it's clear that no one owns the customer and the customer owns their own wallet. And, and at this point, online understands the variety of retailers that are, that are available, understands where the legitimate products come from and who, who, who does a great job. So I think what we compete for in reality is, is the share of wallet, is, is the share of her or his attention span and, and uh, spending power. For sure, customers that shop with us also shop with other retailers and shop on, on Farfetch. The question is, who's servicing them in the best way uh, and who's inspiring them the most often. And so how would you look at the e-concession model then and take the, some of the brands that are working with Farfetch, how do you look at that proposition and, and how that could evolve? That's yet to be seen. And, and I, I think, in, as we said in, in the beginning, Things have changed a huge amount in the last 10 years, and they will continue to accelerate and change over the next five years even. So our model, the model of marketplaces, will, will change in the, in, the, in the coming years. And it's, it's possible that, that concessions of, of some description will become part of the new thinking. That doesn't exist uh, on our site um, today. That's not to say it couldn't exist in the future. The concession model for marketplace is clear. You, you, the brand has the opportunity to present their own products, but they can't be mixed with, with other brands, at least not easily at this stage. And there is the variety of, of presentation across multiple retailers presenting the same product. Likewise, concessions for bricks and mortar for department stores, well-understood concept. Um, the department store, in many respects, stops becoming a retailer at that point, albeit they do pull the traffic through the door and into the concessions as well as their own wholesale spaces. But they really become a landlord, a landlord to, to sublet space to, to, to a brand, and the brand becomes the retailer. For our model, that wouldn't make sense. We would need to be always retain our position as the retailer. We would need to own the uh, relationship with the customer and continue to provide at a minimum, the current high, high level of service, if not, if not even better. The curation is something that brands rut, routinely tell us is important to them, showing their products and their brands in a different light. And having that tone of voice. I mean, if, if you don't have a tone of voice and perspective, you're not a retailer anymore. So we wouldn't entertain something which pushes us closer to being a marketplace. We would have to find ways of working and partnering with, with brands which still satisfy those, those sort of fundamental tenets of, of, of what we do, how we add, add value. In terms of Harrods versus Gucci, like a retailer or a department store listing on, on Farfetch versus Gucci, and we've seen recently Gucci's relationship with Farfetch, they're quite interlinked. I think, you know, Basically, Gucci.com is linked up with Farfetch, so they use the same warehouses. So if I buy online at Farfetch, I'm pretty much buying from the inventory at Gucci and then gets distributed. How do you look at the differences in you know, the relationship between the retailer and the brand with the likes of Farfetch? 
Well, you know, every retailer has a different point of view on this. I, I think, I think what most retailers now understand is the level of investment needed to do a great job online. I think if you go back far enough, you'll find um, a lot of retailers that thought that it was really about shooting a picture, uploading it online, and you know, coming to some arrangement with, with Google and other search engines to, to, to draw the traffic or indeed telling your customers that uh, products are, inva- are available online. There's an awful lot more to it uh, than that. There is, it's, it's, just as, it's just as detailed and, and as complex as running a, a very successful department store. But some stores have gone down the marketplace route. They've said, we don't, either we don't have the, the capacity to invest uh, in our own site to that level or the in-house expertise or the ability to, to do that. And therefore, a marketplace is a good option um, because it's, it's not exactly plug and play, but it's the quickest route to be online, for sure, with, with the advantages and disadvantages we've discussed. Whereas the, mo- the most, I, th- I believe, the most successful retailers who have really developed some loyalty and have really developed a significant customer base for their digital channel are those that have invested heavily and invested heavily relatively early on. But in terms of, I think Farfetch men- mentioned how now 50% of their supply is actually directly from brands, which has grown over the, over the years. You know, which kind of insinuates also the trend away from wholesale, typically to kind of concession models potentially for the industry. You know, do you see do you see brands wanting to move? I guess you know it would depend on the types of brands. But if you take those top fifty brands, you know, the Gucci's, the you know, obviously the Louis Vuittons are very different. But do you think they're going to move over to this concession model and just let Farfetch do that demand generation and fulfillment for them? If, if Farfetch can bring them the right quality of customer, there's, there's no reason they shouldn't be on there. There is the question of whether the commissions that Farfetch receive in order to, to host those brands on their site are sufficient and have the, allow the business to succeed long term. But I don't, I don't think there is any one perfect model. I mean, I'm a big believer in our model, otherwise I wouldn't be Working for my Teresa, I, I believe in all of the, the aspects we've talked about first and foremost. But that's not to suggest that the retailer model is the only and perfect situation. Um, it also comes um, with its own specific issues, which which need to be which need to be addressed. So there is much like in the bricks and mortar world, there is a place for a concession approach, and there is a place for for a retailer and. The most successful model, the most successful format will be the one that is best suited to A, present the brands in the way that they want to be presented online that reflects their luxury status. But more importantly, is able to service uh, high wealth, high net worth, luxury customers to to their very high expectations. Right. And I guess then looking at, do you think this is a case of, if Farfetch pretty much just distribute or to drive demand from the Middle East and China, you know, brands could just be using that as a different channel to get access to those markets pretty much. They can use it. They certainly can, can use Farfetch for, for that kind of exposure. And in many cases, maybe then using the, the platform to drive traffic to their own.com, of course, because um, through their own.com, 
they can form a direct relationship with the, with the customer. There is no commission to be paid, uh, so they benefit from from the full full product margin. So customer acquisition through marketplaces is interesting and is something that brands are and 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 should be um, experimenting with. Again, it really depends on the quality of customers they acquire through that route and whether whether the best the best customers, the, the loyal customers, the frequent customers are actually looking at marketplaces or whether they're attracted by other things. And then I guess looking at typically in other markets, we've seen marketplaces vertically integrate and typically own supply or look to own more of the value chain, if you will. How attractive do you think it is for luxury online marketplaces to actually end up owning more of the supply? It's a complicated um, issue to address within luxury. If you look at the Amazon model, so if we look at the biggest, the biggest uh, retail marketplace, they have the opportunity to take best-selling products that third-party retailers have initially advertised on, on, their, on their marketplace and then start to buy those products themselves directly, as you say. House them in their warehouse, which then allows for prime customers and other, other uh, customers to receive those products very quickly and, and, and with the full margin to uh, Amazon. They can also produce own label versions of those products, further boosting their, their margin and buying direct from, from manufacturers. That doesn't exist in, in um, luxury. You're not going to find a credible luxury brand that's willing to sell you their highest volume products alone. Luxury is about the theater um, of, the, of the presentation. It's about the stories that are told. It's about the, the emotion and the engagement and the excitement uh, of new ideas and innovation. And all of that, of course, does drive uh, volume of certain products, but it's it's not only about those products. It's about the, the the window dressing that goes around them, and and how that stimulates the customers to take interest in that particular brand. It's the cultural connection which which ultimately engages people. So, if you attempt to reduce luxury to pure commodity, it is no longer luxury. And so, if marketplace tries to take that single step in, in terms of stocking only those items, it will devalue the, the brand and, what, and really what it stands for. So one step is impossible. If they take two or three steps, well, then they're becoming a retailer, not a marketplace anymore. Well, and that's where it's this weird paradox of a marketplace where I guess it's like, what, 5 10% of the brands probably drive 80 to 90% of the market revenue, you know, on turnover. And then you have a, you know, a much more consolidated supply side, therefore much more power at the brand level, that the brands kind of own the customer emotion. And so it's almost like quite paradoxical that you can have a marketplace that could serve that in a way. But you know, the power of scale and a global audience and Harrods in the UK or you know, an Italian brand serving Chinese and Middle Eastern customers is just quite powerful. <laughs> And so it's this kind of paradox where it's hard to get your your head around, I guess. It is, and and and, and that paradox is, is a very fine line. The um, I think the the brands that are most successful are those that can walk that fine line between, on the one hand, maximizing their exposure and creating that emotion and and creating that engagement, but also maintaining a level level of scarcity. 
on 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 the other side, maximizing exposure, but but also scarcity and not fulfilling every single order and not treating the the brands and the products as pure commodity because it's harder to quantify. But the the customers that couldn't get hold of of those products because they weren't available, even if they're very desirable, it also creates demand. It creates uh, word of mouth marketing. It creates desire, and, and so over fulfillment is a problem for luxury, which is another way in which it doesn't behave as a commodity. But what about the? I mean, clearly the biggest risk with retail is that you know I'm a retailer. I purchase the luxury products and then I can't sell them, and I mark them down fifty percent and end up hurting the brand of you know, the luxury brand. How do you think about markdowns and liquidating stock and the risk to brands via just the traditional retail model? Yeah, this is an important question. I mean, online retail now is of a scale that this really matters to to brands, and and they're rightly looking at the amount of product in the market. They're looking at the amount of product which is presented online, and and when you think about the percentage of that product that is marked down across all of their wholesale partners, it becomes quite substantial. So one of the reasons brands are looking more closely at space now. Is, is not only marketing and, and reach, to, particularly to younger customers, but to customers at large, but is is also because it's become so, such a such a large scale that it really matters. That there is a danger that if they overexpose themselves to these kind of activities, it will undermine everything they've invested in for many for many many decades. So, you asked about how the models will evolve going forwards. I think. Closer integration of the of the best multi-brand retailers in a way that limits markdown will be one aspect that will be, become quite important because it's also not to the retailer's advantage to sell at markdown. I mean, it, how do you do that through closer integration of data sharing, of understanding who and where the customer is, what sells, replenishing what sells, removing items which which don't sell. Which have a you know very high exposure online. I mean, you have to remember that a single product marked down in a bricks and mortar store has a, a limited a limited audience. I mean, it could still be a substantial audience, but it, it really depends on how many people walk through the door and look at that particular shelf or rail. Online, millions of people can see that product marked down, whether or not they intend to buy it. So this this needs to be managed quite carefully. I think you know. Another big topic on this front is the sustainability of, of that oversupply, and if, if a lot of a lot of product is going into markdown, has to be the asked, the question has to be asked. You know, why is there so much product available, and, and 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 is there an oversupply from that point of view? So I think these kind of conversations are extremely important, and and the best retailers will will embrace this because they want to partner, they want to actually enhance and do their part to to elevate brand perception online, not to damage the good work that's been done in establishing that that, that brand's name in the first place. And do you think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing a shift from the brands supposedly to more concession-based model where they can control the price and control the inventory a bit more versus take the risk with a retailer buying the product and then potentially marketing it down if the market doesn't see the value in the, the merchandise? I mean, look, any, again, you know, everyone is free to set prices as they choose. That, that can't be imposed in any free market. But for sure, luxury is a, is a 
is an unusual situation because you know if you look at EU fair trade rules, for example, the 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 assumption is that good competition drives down prices and is therefore good for the consumer, and that that is of course true in many cases. But again, luxury isn't um, a business where price is the foremost consideration. It's, it's desirability, and yes, discounting and um, Pricing plays, behavior plays into that. I think it's less about the brands controlling every single aspect of every product that they produce, but more working with good quality retailers that understand how to service customers well without having to worry about driving volume through discounts, being able to sell it at full price, and understanding customers' needs worldwide. Because while, you know, Tastes, there are items which sell in every country of the world. Tastes do vary worldwide. Customers perceive brands and, and, and understand products in a different way in different regions of the world. And having understanding those sensibilities is also incredibly important. But let's say that, I mean, because I think going forward now, like, online is, is crucial to the industry and every brand, but the brands are not set up to be retailers. And so there needs to so and that's kind of obviously why you have these two different models, the marketplace and the retailer model. How difficult would it be for someone for a retailer, online retailer, to actually start offering a concession model? Let's say that the brand comes in, they want to really own, I want to own the price and I want to own the the inventory, I want to kind of have more ownership over that. Is there not, you know, if you have the logistics set up and you have the the infrastructure, would you not want to offer that? Or could you not offer that in a way? That I mean, in, in, in theory, it sounds attractive if you haven't already made the significant investments in building the ability to deliver same day or next day. If you, if you haven't got the teams of customer service people and, and uh, the, other, the rest of the expertise in, in online marketing to, to be able to offer that. But to simply offer a brand space on your website and handle them separate to everything else you do would put them at an immediate disadvantage. And retailers who are now coming later to, to the online space, this may seem attractive again because it saves on capital investment and, and setup of their site. But in, in, in reality, they wouldn't be able to bring the traffic. They wouldn't be able to service customers in a, in a very high quality way um, and ultimately wouldn't add any value to, to the brand in the first place. How do you look at the likes of the big LVMH or you know, Hermes? Do you think in the long run they're just going to have their own brand.com site or how do you see that shaking out? They will. They will. I mean, most, most now already do. There's you know, different service levels, not all ship, not all ship globally, not all uh, can service customers wherever they are in the world. And, and um, this is one important aspect because particularly if you talk about a brand like Hermes or, or, or Chanel or Louis Vuitton, and you know, I, I don't specifically comment on any of their particular businesses, but their best customers um, move around the world constantly. You, know, you don't ship to any one address. They have homes or places they stay in, in, in many parts of the world, and you need to be able to service them wherever they are. And you need to be able to service them seamlessly, either online to their home, to their hotel, to a store which is which is local to them, and uh, and follow them with uh, with relative ease. There is no brand on the planet that can afford not to invest in luxury, 
some brands have, have embraced it fully. I mean, I would say particularly caring-based uh, brands have really, uh, caring group brands have really invested uh, very early on in, in online and, and gained a much broader audience. We've got younger generations as well as older generations. LVMH have moved more cautiously. But then even brands within each of those groups are, are generally free to form a strategy which makes sense for their individual brands. And, and some LVMH brands are, are pushing harder than others. Some use it more as a marketing channel to, to gain attention and drive traffic to the bricks and mortar stores. Others make a very wide availability of their collections of their inventory available and, and, and are expanding their their service across across the world quite quickly so it's a very individual brand by brand case scenario and so looking how this can shake out for the industry then in the long run so do you think there'll be still multiple online retailers matches by teresa louis Roma, all these different online specifically curated product selections for certain customer bases maybe in some local regions as well right and then you'll have one marketplace, which is the Farfetch, which offers you know, the widest selection, all of the brands, any other stock that the brands on the retailers don't want to list, and, and, kind of that, and then the, potentially the, the brand.coms as well, which supposedly are going to be for the big you know, top 10 brands, really. Yeah. Well, I, I think the brand.coms will become increasingly important. As we said earlier, it's not true of all, but as a broad generalization, it's the brands that were slowest to, to adopt online. And um, most, if, if, if not all now, are looking, much, looking at it much more seriously and investing more heavily. So dot-coms will, I think, quite quickly start to offer a, a broader selection of products. We'll, we'll start to ship to more regions of the world. We'll become better at, at, at speed of, of shipping and, and brands will invest. They have to. There's no question on that. Within luxury marketplaces at the moment, there really is only Farfetch which is making any major inroads into luxury. There are, of course, other, other very, very successful retailers who are looking to push into the space, but none which have done it at any scale yet. But that's, it, would be, it would be very foolish to, to um, write off the, the continued attempts of Amazon and, and, and other marketplaces to to penetrate the space because while they haven't yet developed the, the sort of light touch the sensibility the presentation the individual customer service that's needed for luxury from a operational point of view i mean they're, they're world class from a, from a delivery perspective uh, an operational service perspective they're, they're world class so that will be an interesting space to watch and then on the retailer side we went from a place in the mid-noughties at the beginning of our conversation where there were just a few experimenting, which then proliferated into many, many independent stores realizing that they had the opportunity to do the same and then ultimately had the opportunity to list also list products on Farfetch. So at some point, that reached sort of maximum capacity where there were, as we said, pages and pages of retailers offering luxury products. That's going to consolidate. It already is. There will be a very natural, I think, consolidation of the number of multi-brand retailers that continue to drive meaningful business and do it in a qualitative way and 
ship globally. So there will be a, um, a thinning out. There will be, be, put it brutally, the survival of the fittest, which will spell bad news for some, but I think good news for the overall health of the, of the industry. And that will be based on scale and, I guess, product positioning. Scale, product position, and ability, above all else, to service customers in a very personal um, and, and efficient way. So it's a long run. You, you, you'll have the market. Farfetch will probably is, is kind of owning that space now where they'll have the long tail of the brands and the long tail of the boutiques serving mainly Middle East and, 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 and China, but also eventually globally, I assume. And then potentially, I guess the big opportunity for Farfetch is to integrate more with the Gucci.coms and the bigger brands and start offering that deeper concession model, which is the big, I guess, the big risk for the other parts of the industry, where if the brands really do take to Farfetch and Farfetch becomes the center of the ecosystem, which is quite paradoxical because the brand should be the center, right? But um, I guess that's the risk for the, for the retailers, right, in that retail landscape. You're absolutely right to say that becoming a concession space, almost a, a digital department store, by operating more directly with the brands is, a, is an opportunity for them. There's no doubt about that. That's certainly one way to secure growth and to secure supply of goods. Of course, that depends on the commission rates they can achieve and, and uh, you know, the viability of the business going forwards. That is a huge opportunity. But I don't necessarily see that as it is, of course, direct competition to the retailers, but I don't necessarily see it as an either or uh, situation. I think I think there are strengths and weaknesses to both. I'm not being diplomatic in saying it. I think there's, there's a couple of alternative ways to approach this now, but that will also change in the future. And as we said, models will evolve and who knows, maybe there'll even be a, a hybrid approach, which... 10 years from now doesn't look either like a wholesale retailer model or a uh, fully-fledged uh, marketplace. Things happen very quickly, which is why this space is very exciting. And I think what we, the only thing we can say with absolute certainty is that things in five years or 10 years from now won't look exactly as they do now.